The text for this morning's sermon is 1 Peter 4, the verses 7 to 11. The end of all things is at hand. Therefore be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God, whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies, in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Beloved congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, when men enter into the special offices, their lives change dramatically. They go from a regular life of doing their daily work and caring for their family to also being given responsibility for the care of many families and individuals in the church. It occupies many evenings of their time and a lot of their headspace. It regularly happens that by the time office bearers finish a term of office, that they are tired and that they are in need of a break. And that makes you wonder if we are doing things right. Why does the care of the congregation seem to depend so much on the work of the office bearers? Often we think that the work of ministry is the task of office bearers. They do have specific responsibilities that God charges them with. Yet we all have a responsibility for each other. In Ephesians 4, Paul speaks about how God gave various office bearers to his church, not just to do the work of ministry, but to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. It's a task of pastors and elders and deacons to equip the congregation for the work of ministry. We all have a responsibility to use our gifts to support and encourage one another. Striking to see the many one another commands in the Bible. Jesus commanded us to love one another. We are called to accept one another just as Christ accepted us. We are commanded to forgive each other as the Lord has forgiven us. We're called to look not only to our own interests, but also to the interests of others. We're called to build each other up by encouraging and teaching and admonishing one another. It supports the Bible's message that we all have a responsibility to use our gifts for the benefit and the well-being of each other. I'm going to focus on that this morning. I preach to you God's word under the following theme. Christ calls us to minister to one another the grace he supplies. We'll consider our task 
our motivation for ministering, our task in ministering, our capability for ministering, and our goal in ministering. When time is short, things get urgent. When a family member or friend tells you that he or she hasn't got long to live, your time together becomes more precious. Your discussions return to the basics. When a hurricane is blowing in, you don't have time to pull out a game or begin cooking a gourmet meal. It's about survival, and survival calls for simplicity. If you're driving to church and you see an accident happen, and you're the only one there to assist, you don't worry about being late or about getting your Sunday clothes dirty. You help because the situation is pressing. The Lord Jesus himself modeled this for us. As long as there was time, he took the time to eat with his disciples, to train them, to minister to the needs of the people he met. Jesus would linger over a meal with friends. At times he withdrew from the crowd so he and his disciples could be refreshed. Yet when the time for his suffering drew near, Jesus focused more and more on what was urgent. He spoke to his disciples about his suffering and about his upcoming death. Peter opposed Jesus, telling him that this would never happen. Peter was planning for a kingdom, not for a cross. But Jesus rebuked Peter, saying, Get behind me, Satan. For Peter was not setting his mind on God's interests, but man's. And then the Lord Jesus got down to the basics. He told his disciples about the essentials, the simple requirements for discipleship. He said, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Peter has understood the message. He was a practical man. Prior to following Christ, his life consisted of practical things. Boats, nets, supporting a family, working hard. And that comes through in Peter's writing. For Peter, life was not meant to be talked about, but lived out. If an urgent situation demanded action, Peter wasn't one to call for a committee to study the alternatives. When he took up his pen to write to persecuted churches, he addressed them in a practical and in a direct manner. Peter was writing to suffering saints, to men and women who are being taken advantage of, to persecuted Christians in a hostile world. With no relief in sight, Peter introduces one thought that always helps Christians to hope again. He says, the end of all things is at hand. These words introduce urgency into our text. Christ is coming back soon. Are we ready for his appearing? As an apostle of Christ, Peter gets down to the basics. He tells us what we need to do to be prepared for the return of Christ. So how then are we to live? Since the end of all things is at hand, Peter urges us, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. If we do not have control over our lives, our sin will hinder meaningful communion with the Lord. 
If our minds are distracted by the cares of this world, it'll get in the way of prayerful communion with God. Prayer is an essential part of our thankfulness to God. In it, we express our trust and our dependence on Him. Prayer is not an end in itself or a retreat from our daily tasks. Peter connects our love for God with love for our neighbor. You could even say that prayer transforms love for God into love for our neighbor. And so in ministering to one another, prayer is essential. Office bearers, if you want to fulfill the duties of your offices, you need to pray. Not just for God's grace and spirit to enable you to fulfill your tasks, but for the people whom you are to minister to. And brothers and sisters, in using your gifts for the well-being of the other members, you need to pray. Not just for wisdom or strength or ability, but specifically for those whom you want to serve. For it's when we bring the needs of those who face struggles before the throne of grace that our hearts are filled more and more with love for them. Peter goes on to encourage us in our love for one another. He says, above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. For Peter, the command to love one another is supreme. This is what we are to do above all other things. As Paul also taught in 1 Corinthians 13, love is essential to the exercise of our gifts. Paul says we can have all kinds of spiritual gifts, but that without love, they are meaningless. Why is love so important to the exercise of our gifts? Because without it, the motivation for using our gifts is lacking. The reason God sent his son was because he loved the world. The reason that Christ laid down his heavenly power and glory and became a servant for us was because he loved us. It's because God first loved us, that we are to love him. This love for God is to be shown in our love for each other. Love breaks down barriers. Peter quotes from Proverbs 10, verse 12, which teaches that love covers a multitude of sins. This does not mean that we must forgive no matter what someone else has done to us. If sins cause offense, the person who committed them needs to be confronted so he or she has an opportunity to repent. Some situations demand accountability because of the hurt committed against someone else. But there are times when we sin against one another where the person sinned against doesn't take personal offense. They let it go because they're kind or gracious or because they understand why it happened. If we truly understand the depth of our own sins and the greatness of Christ's love in forgiving us, we're more inclined to let certain things go. And so we see the motivation 
for ministering to one another, we're to do so out of love. Because Christ first loved us, we show our love for him by ministering to each other's needs. Office bearers, without love, you will not be able to fulfill the task to which God calls you. There are going to be times when you get frustrated and upset. When congregation members you're trying to care for are hard-headed or hard-hearted. But if you cannot forgive, if you do not love, you will not be able to minister to their needs. And brothers and sisters, if you allow bitterness or resentment against fellow saints to fill your hearts, you will not be able to serve them. You will not be able to help them on the pathway of everlasting life. Without love, we cannot minister to one another. This brings us to our second point, and it will consider our task in ministering. So far, Peter has shown us that eyes closed in prayer lead to hearts opened with love. If we have open hearts for one another, this will be seen in the fact that we also have open homes to each other. Peter commands, show hospitality to one another without grumbling. Because they followed Christ, many of the Christians in Asia Minor forfeited their formal social relationships. Some were rejected by their families and loved ones. Many lost close friends because they no longer lived pleasure-seeking lives. They also faced pressures at work because they refused to be part of the guilds, the trade unions of the ancient world. They sacrificed much to follow Christ. Yet Christ did not leave them isolated without friends or support. He gave them one another, so that those who shared one Lord, one faith, and the same Spirit could be united in one body, the Church of Jesus Christ. In our text, Peter encourages the practice of Christian hospitality. Hospitality is a distinguishing mark of the Christian Church, also of elders, It's more than just a social duty. An open home reveals an open heart. There is something special about table communion, about sharing a meal together. Your hearts are bound together because you share more than just food. You share communion together. That's why when someone breaks fellowship with a church, we're commanded not even to eat With such a one. Peter continues by encouraging us to minister to one another. He says, As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. There are several passages in Scripture which list the gifts God gives us by His Spirit. Romans 12 and 1 Corinthians 12 are two such passages. Some of the spiritual gifts are prophecy. Ministry, teaching, exhorting, helping, giving, leading, managing, and showing mercy. It's worthwhile to make a list of these gifts and then examine our lives in the light of them. Do you have the ability to teach or exhort? 
Or are you better at organizing things? Are you a leader? Or would you rather help behind the scenes? Has God blessed you so you're in a position to give extra to kingdom causes? Or is your gift that of service, of showing mercy to those in need? Ask those who know you what they think your gifts are. Then try them out. Minister to one another as good stewards of the grace of God. The word our text translates as to serve is from the Greek diakonos. It's where we get the term deacon from. This word has two basic meanings, to minister or to serve. It's used to refer to the work of the apostles in ministering the word of God, as well as to refer to the general works of service for one another. In our text, Peter summarizes the various spiritual gifts spoken about in the Bible by putting them into these two categories, speaking and serving. By speaking, we are to feed the faith of others. By serving, we are to promote fellowship together. Peter encourages us in how we are to speak and serve. He says that in speaking, we need to speak as one who speaks the oracles of God. When ministering to others by speaking, we shouldn't be voicing our own thoughts or opinions. When office bearers preach or teach, encourage or comfort, admonish or discipline, they are to do so with the word of God. It's only through the word that the Spirit can work and influence the life of the person that we're speaking to. The same applies to us as congregation members. If you seek to comfort or encourage or admonish a brother or sister, do so with an open Bible. For when we faithfully administer God's grace in this way, we experience a miracle taking place. God is speaking. Through us. Peter continues saying that whoever serves must do so as one who serves by the strength that God supplies. Peter's here speaking of the loving service we are to show to our brothers and sisters in Christ. The Lord Jesus gave a great example of such service on the night in which he was betrayed. He washed the disciples' feet. Normally, that was the job of a servant. Yet Christ took it on to show them that true love manifests itself in acts of service. Christ taught his disciples that things are different in the church than they are in the world. In the world, those in authority exercise lordship over those under their control. But Christ taught his disciples that the greatest among you become as the youngest and leader as the one who serves. Christ did not just demonstrate his love by washing his disciples' feet. He did much more than that. Christ willingly gave up his life for us. Philippians 2 speaks about how he emptied himself, taking on the form of a bondservant. Paul says that Christ humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. 
That's the wonderful service that our Savior has accomplished for us. And that's the basis upon which he also calls us to serve one another. To serve one another requires humility and patience and love. We are to do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility to count others more significant than ourselves. We need to deal patiently with the weaknesses and shortcomings of our fellow brothers and sisters. It's only if we truly love that we'll be able to serve one another effectively. And so we see the need for God's grace upon us. We can only serve by the strength God supplies. It brings us to our third point, our capability for ministering. In our own strength, it's impossible for us to minister to one another. It comes through repeatedly in our text. I'd like to note three things from our text that show the ability to minister to others comes from God. First, our text exhorts us to pray. Prayer is necessary for Christians who desire to minister to others. For God will give his grace and spirit to those who constantly and with heartfelt longing ask him for these gifts and thank him for them. In the second place, our text encourages us to love each other deeply. Now, by nature, we're inclined to hate our neighbor. We of ourselves cannot love each other. Not unless God's grace has transformed our lives. Not unless the Spirit enables us to do so. In Romans 5, verse 5, Paul teaches us that God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Love is a gift of God worked in us by the Spirit. In the third place, our text plainly states that the spiritual gifts come from God. Verse 10 speaks about how each of us has received a gift. God calls us to faithfully administer God's grace in its various forms. The grace of God is the source of all our spiritual gifts. In effect, to use our gifts is to practice the grace given us in Jesus Christ. Verse 11, our text notes that if anyone serves, he is to do so by the strength that God supplies. No one can minister to others out of his own strength. It's only by the power, might, and spirit of our God that our speaking and serving can bear fruit in the life of a fellow brother or sister. So we see that both our gifts and the ability to use them effectively come from God. It brings us to our final point, our goal in ministering. Our text ends with a purpose clause, explaining the reason why we are to heed Paul's instruction. Why is prayerful communion with God necessary? Why are we to love one another deeply? Why practice hospitality? Why serve each other? 
Paul explains that we are to do so in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. The ultimate goal of each of our lives is to give glory and praise to God. It's the purpose for which we were originally created. It's the reason why we've been redeemed. It's what our life will be focused on in eternity. To give glory to God. To magnify His name. To praise Him in word and deed. In everything we say and do, God should get the glory. If that's our focus... It solves many of the struggles and difficulties we face in church life. How many egos would be put in their place if God's glory and not our own was our focus? How much more effective wouldn't we be in serving each other if we got rid of our judgmental attitudes toward each other? It's so easy to be divided because of different perspectives we hold. Yet if the glory of God is our highest aim. It will unite us in our service of Him. Beloved, God's grace abounds towards us. In Christ we have righteousness, life, peace, joy, and hope. We share in a bountiful treasure that our Lord has bestowed on His church. Today, we may again receive office bearers as shepherds of the flock. We may be surrounded by brothers and sisters who love us and care for us. Our Lord is indeed good to us. Let us show forth our thankfulness by fervently loving one another and ministering to each other's needs. Christ calls us to serve one another. In our own strength, we cannot do that. And yet through the might and power of his spirit, Christ will help us to fulfill the tasks to which he has called us. That's why Christ could speak the words of John 13, verse 17 to his disciples. After asking, do you understand what I have done for you? He says, if you know these things, blessed are you. If you do them, Christ is coming soon. The end of all things is at hand. We need to be ready. Therefore, as servants of Christ, let us minister to one another with the grace he supplies. Amen. Let's respond to the gospel message by rising and singing hymn 50.